I invite you to take your Bible and let's turn to Joshua chapter number 13 for just a minute. And um, we're going to take a look at a few things in the area here where we're not dealing with all of the Scripture because a lot of this just has to do with the assignment of land to the different tribes. And it's, um, But I do want to mention a few things that we see here that are going to be relevant uh, later on. And I uh, just wanted to, to point them out, okay? Uh, you will notice in, in Joshua 13, verse 13, and this comes to play uh, later on, it says, Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Gishurites nor the Mahakarthites, but the Gishurites and Mahakarthites dwell among the Israelites until this day. In other words, at the point of writing of the book of Joshua, there were some folks that they were supposed to have driven out of the land and they didn't they failed to do it. Um do they I, they failed to look to the Lord to help them drive them out of the land. The Lord said that, that he would help them drive them out. What I what I imagine probably happened we we don't know for sure We'll know when we get to home to be with glory, but I think we'll we'll and this is not the only place where we see this. We'll see a few other places where they fail to do what the Lord told them to do. Kind of like a lot of folks today, uh, when it comes to living the Christian life, say, so, "Well, it's just too hard." Well, God gives us what we need in order to live the Christian life. If it's too hard. We're not, just put, we're not putting forth the effort that we should. The Lord said He was going to drive these, these inhabitants in the land out. But they had to, they had to put feet to it. And I think we, we, we're going to see that they, um, where it says they could not do it, and they could not do it because it was too hard, um, they didn't trust the Lord for it. It's what basically we're the bottom line of that. Uh, look down to verse number 22 of chapter 13, and I just want to point this out. Uh, a name that we saw seen in some other studies. Y'all remember Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, the one that would try to, he, he was hired to curse the Israelites, and uh, he's the one that the donkey uh, uh, could talk to him <laughs> when he struck him. And the donkey was trying to uh, to keep him from getting slain because he was he was it was intending on uh, violate what the Lord told him to do. But uh, we see here that Balaam finally met his end. The children of Israel slayed him. Remember, he he was responsible for um, even though he did not uh, curse the children of Israel, he caused uh, he he gave counsel to. Uh, as to how to get God to curse them, okay, and uh, we see that he met his proper end there. Verse twenty-two: Balaam the son of Beor the soothsayer did the children of Israel slay with a sword among them that were slain by them. So it does mention him there. Um, now chapters fifteen through nineteen uh, of the book of Joshua deal with the consignment of land to the tribes of Israel that settled on the west side of the Jordan. Remember, remember there you got the, the west side is the promised land. 
the east side, there was two and a half tribes that decided they wanted to just have their possession over there. And the Lord said, well, you can do that, but you got to go over and you got to help deliver. You, know, you got to go help conquer the land uh, on the west side. So you got uh, west side portion, you got east side portion of the Jordan River. Uh, chapter number 15 deals with Judah's portion. Chapter 16 deals with Ephraim's portion. Chapter 17 deals with Manasseh's portion. Uh, 18 and 19 deal with the portions of Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. And I'm, we're not going to read through all of that, but I do th- want to point out a few things within this also. Look down in uh, chapter number 15, verse number 63. Verse number 63, the very last verse of chapter 15. It says, As for the Jebusites, <clears throat> the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. And when it says unto this day, at the time that the book of Joshua was written. Look down in chapter number 16, verse number 10. And they drave not out the Canaanites, which dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. Now, all of this we've seen is, is some disobedience that is going to come to play later down the road. Look at chapter 17, verse number 12. Um, it says there, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxing strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. So here you see, okay, initially they didn't drive them out. And then they had a chance to drive them out, but they decided to put them under tribute. So we still see disobedience, don't we? And that disobedience is going to come into play later, uh, and, and especially when we get to the book of Judges. Um, we'll see the uh, consequences of those things happening. But let's look at some highlights of this section. You know, we, last week we looked in chapter 14. We saw how Caleb was given the city of Hebron. And in chapter 15, we're given more of the story of Caleb. Look at chapter 15, and let's take a look at uh, verse number 13 and 14. Verse number 13 and 14 says, And to Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he, he, he gave, part, gave a part among the children of, of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua. Even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which, is, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, and Tal, Talmiah, the children of Anak. Now these were giants, okay? The land that Caleb wanted was giant country, and he was ready as he was 45 years earlier. Remember, 45 years early when, the, when uh, uh, he and Joshua came back with the other 10 spies, there were 12 spies that were sent in to look at the land. Well, they came back and uh, Caleb was ready to go into the land and he was ready to conquer some giants. And he's had this desire on his heart for 45 years. 40 years of the wandering in the wilderness and the five years that they've been uh, taking and, and uh, conquering the land here. And finally, uh, he's been given his section of the land and he goes in 
and he uh, drives those giants. He, he drives them out of the land. Now, look at chapter number uh, 15 also. Look at verse number 15 through 19 here. It says, And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debir, and the, uh, and the name of Debir was before Kajath-Sephir. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kajath-Sephir and taketh it, him will I give Achash, uh, Achasa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Achasa, his daughter, to wife. And it came to pass, as she came unto him, that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And uh, she lighted off her ass. And, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? He, who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. So we see Caleb didn't want just anybody to marry his daughter. He wanted a man of courage who thought she was worth fighting for. Amen. And uh, he found that in Othniel. Now look at chapter number 17 um, in verses number 14 through 15. Chapter 17, verse 14 to 15. And we see uh, one of the tribes complaining because they, they had not been given a very large portion of land. Look at this, uh, Chapter 17, verse number 14. And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto? And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country and cut, cut down for thyself there the, the land of the Perizzites and of the giants, if, uh, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. Um, so uh, we see down, let's skip down in uh, verse number 17 and 18. Verse number 17, And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim, to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have uh, one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Uh, basically, you know, Joshua is saying, you don't, you don't like what you have? Go up and possess the mountains. <laughs> um, but remember, there are giants in the land. You'll have to work. You'll have to fight. It's going to cost you something. You know, people... Uh, uh, sometimes don't want to work. <laughs> and uh, he was just warning them. There's a spiritual lesson for, here for us too. If we don't like where we are spiritually, we need to stop complaining and start conquering uh, the things in our life that are, are, are hindering us. It takes work to lay hold of spiritual possessions and blessings. And there are enemies who will try to trip us up if they can in our quest to obtain those spiritual possessions and blessings. Now, look at chapter number 18, verse number 1. Chapter 18, verse number 1. And it says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. Okay, so the children of Israel pitched the tabernacle at a town uh, in Ephraim called Shiloh. And that would not be the permanent home of the tabernacle because it was not in the center of the land, 
Nevertheless, this would be the home of the tabernacle until God chose a permanent location. And we know from our studies in the book of Samuel and Kings that that happened during uh, the time of King David's reign uh, when the uh, finally was a, a, a place that was chosen there in Jerusalem. Now, look at verse number 2 and 3 here of uh, Joshua 18. He says, And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? Uh, now here we see seven tribes who were just kind of lollygagging around. You're standing around with their hands in the pockets, so to speak. You say, well, I don't know why we can't have our land, you know. <laughs> well, they weren't. Joshua, in so many words, said, how long are you just going to lollygag around? And this is all to be a challenge to us, too. God has made available to us all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. you got the same spiritual blessings that your preacher has. They're available to you, okay? But you've got to want them. You've got to possess them. Just like I have to possess my spiritual blessings, you've got to possess yours. And by, by the way, you know, many believers are slack when it comes to claiming those in their life. Uh, God has been so good to us, and he, he has bestowed on us His grace, amen, His mercy, His love, and His goodness. Why then are so many believers just lollygagging around when it comes to their Christian walk? They need to move in and possess the possessions that the Lord has for them. Now, let's take a look at chapter number 19. All of this is dealing with the dividing up the land, the things going on in, in all of this. Look at uh, chapter 19, verse number 49 through 51. It says, When they had made an end of dividing the land for inheritance by their coast, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun among them. Who got the last bit? Joshua did. Okay. It says in verse 50, According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked, even Timnath, Sarah, among Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt therein. And these are the inheritances which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Don and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided for an inheritance by Lot and Shiloh before the Lord at the doors of the tabernacles of the congregation. So they made an end of dividing the country. And so uh, what I want to point out here, here we see the man of God who led the conquest, receiving his inheritance. And uh, I'm told uh, that the place that Joshua chose was basically a barren place, almost desert. One of the worst spots Joshua could have chosen. Now, he chose it, okay? He chose it. It's similar to the backside of a desert, what is laid out here. And that says something about both Joshua and the children of Israel. Uh, Joshua had a lot of uh, character similar to that of Abraham, who took what was left after Lot chose the well-watered plain. Remember that? Yeah. And, uh, but note that the Israelites were perfectly willing to let this man of God have a small barren place as his portion. you think they would have insisted that because of all he had done for them that he take one of the choice spots to settle. But uh, that's not the way that it took place. Now, we, where we want to be at tonight, and uh, 
We're going to be in chapter number 20, verses 1 through 9. Let's, let's read chapter 20. It said, The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge. That's what we want to deal with, cities of refuge, where, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares, in other words, it's not premeditated, it's uh, maybe killing them accidentally, he said, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he hath, he that doth flee into one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city. They shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly, and hated him not before time. Uh, And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days, then shall the slayer return and come into his own city, unto his own house, and unto the city from whence he fled. And they appointed Kedish in Galilee, and in Mount Naphtali, and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountain of Judah. And on the other side of Jordan, you got some on the west side of Jordan, some on the east side of Jordan. you got three, three on each side. On the other side of Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer, uh, in the wilderness, upon the plain, out of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in, in Gilead, out of the tribe of Gad, <coughs> excuse me, and Golan in Bashan, out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them, uh, that whosoever killeth any person unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until. Uh, he stood before the congregation. Um, so we see, you know, as believers, we know that God is our protector. Amen. He is our hiding place. He's our refuge in the midst of this dangerous world that we uh, live in. Uh, Proverbs eighteen ten says, "The name of the Lord is a strong tower; the righteous runneth unto it and is safe." Here in Joshua twenty, we find that God instructs Joshua to set up these cities of refuge, six in number. And after the flood, God laid down a basic rule to Noah that anyone who murderously uh, shed blood of others would pay for their crime with their own blood. Um, Genesis 9, verse 6 says, Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Now, there's a big roar that continues on and on about... what uh, uh, about capital punishment? <clears throat> is it right or is it wrong? Well, it's biblical. Uh, God's the one that established it. Understand that God is the one who instituted the death penalty for certain crimes. And he's also the one who established the institution of government to carry out the death penalty. It properly is to be carried out by the government. But we also need to understand that God made a difference between premeditated murder and the unpremeditated killing of someone. Uh, before these cities of refuge were established, a man or woman killed someone and the death wasn't premeditated. In other words, maybe a person got killed 
you kill somebody by accident. You're out there chopping a tree. The top of the axe, the, uh, axe head comes off, hits somebody, kills them. Well, you killed them. <laughs> you didn't mean to, but you killed them. Well, uh, before that, this time that we see here, the slayer could seek only seek refuge in the in the tabernacle, physically holding on to the altar as a place of safety and protection. And that's found in Exodus 21, verse 12 through 14. So it says in Exodus 21, verse 12, He that smiteth a man so that he dies shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, in other words, it's not premeditated, be, but God deliver him into his hand, and I will appoint thee a place where they shall flee. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. And so, you know, this worked well during the 40 years that the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness uh, and the tabernacle went along with them all along the way. They were all together. Uh, during the seven years of military conquest, it worked too um, because the, the tabernacle was physically in the center of the nation. Uh, so any Israelite could flee into the tabernacle and find a place of refuge there. But once the tribes were settled throughout the land of Canaan, in their respective tribal inheritances, they needed places of refuge that were scattered among them. They needed somewhere close by. They didn't need to have to, to travel a long place. So God ordained six cities of refuge, places of compassion, where anyone who had unintentionally killed another person could flee. Now, in Israelite society, there was no police force to investigate crimes. It was the moral responsibility of the family member who was closest to the victim to investigate and avenge the murder. And in our text, that's who's called the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood. But this person's own emotional subjectivity, the passion and anger at the loss of their family member, it could cloud their judgment. And they might not want to go to the trouble of figuring out whether it was premeditated murder or not. And so it was possible that they might end up avenging the death by killing someone who was, wasn't even guilty of a capital crime. And that, of course, um, that's why these cities of refuge were needed. Verse 7 lists three cities west of the Jordan from north to south. And verse 8 lists three cities east of Jordan from south to north. Uh, so let me give you a few thoughts here uh, before we close tonight about uh, some thoughts concerning the cities of refuge. The cities of refuge were to be strategically located so they would be easily accessible. The whole land of Israel is only about the size of Maryland, the state of Maryland. Um, so no one could be very far away from a city of refuge. God commanded that the nation build highways to these cities of refuge. According to Deuteronomy 19.3, Thou shalt prepare thee away, and divide the coast of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit, uh, into three parts, that every slayer may flee thither. Now, history tells us that these highways, not highways like ours, they didn't, have, didn't, didn't pave these roads, uh, but they were, had maintained so that uh, nobody was hindered in getting to these cities of refuge. Bridges were built across every ravine, that the highways came to so that the person who was running for refuge wouldn't have to waste time 
climbing down to the bottom and climbing back up to the top of the other side. Uh, they were built, uh, rebuilt every spring after the heavy winter rains so that the road surface would be smooth and easy to run on. They're trying to make it uh, convenient for the person that's on the run. And so at every crossroads or intersection on these highways, there were big, bold signs pointing the way with the word refuge in large letters. So the cities were strategically located so they'd be easily accessible. Number two, the gates of the cities of refuge were to be always open. Always open. 24-hour access was important. I mean, if you're on the run and you get to the gate, you want the gate to be open. If, especially if you've got a pursuer uh, on your uh, on your rear end there going uh, coming and uh, you want to be able to get into the city of refuge. Someone had to run for 30 or 40 miles to get to the city and then they couldn't get in there, then that wouldn't be much of a refuge, would it? Um, the cities of refuge, thirdly, were to be well stocked to, to provide for any fugitives who came to stay for however long they might need to be there. It was not only a place of guaranteed legal protection, but also a place of material provision for all their needs. Housing and food were available for them. They couldn't go outside the city. Because if they went outside the city of refuge, it's fair game. You know, they could have their life taken from them by the uh, person who was looking for them. Then, number four, refuge was only guaranteed as long as they remained in the city. I just said that. If the, if the person left the city, the avenger could take their life. If they, if they left outside the city, once they got there, the city could do nothing to protect them. The protection was only within the city. And that's found in Numbers 35, verses 26 through 28. And then, last of all, the cities were designated for all the people of Israel, including the strangers. It wasn't just for Israel, but even the stranger among them that lived among them, the, the Gentiles, the same justice, the same protection, the same provision, the same atoning grace was free to all. What God did in establishing these cities of refuge was setting the wheels in motion for what would ultimately be called due process of law. You know, we hear that a lot today. Somebody didn't receive the due process of law. Our present legal system finds its roots in this kind of biblical teaching that declares that a person is innocent until proven guilty. And until everything was investigated by the elders, excuse me, and justice was handed down in a full hearing before the entire congregation, he enjoyed the security of presumed innocence. So what's the application here? Well, the application is Jesus is our refuge, amen. Psalm 61, verse 3, For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Uh, the cities of refuge were only a shadow of the true refuge that's available in Christ. Once we trust Christ, we are eternally secure in Him. Amen. The importance is to come to the Lord for our salvation and we find refuge in Him and Him alone. I thought it was important to cover these cities of refuge. We're continuing in our journey through the book of Joshua, and we'll pick up there, Lord willing, next week. Let's pull out our prayer list. We'll pray for the needs here, and we'll be dismissed.